What's up, everyone? Welcome to the second episode of the Sound of My Own Voice podcast here with your host, Ian Barrage, uh, coming at you live less than three hours before this needs to be posted. Uh, what can be said other than procrastination is an art form and a skill and one that takes years to master, and I'd like to think that I am a master of it. Um, so yeah, this is the second episode. I'm gonna go ahead and do all of the things that uh, I should be doing to help grow my audience, which is let everyone know uh, that we have all kinds of stuff where you can follow us now. Uh, us, like there's more than one person, it's me. You can just follow me on something different other than my own uh, Twitter and everything. But we have a website for the podcast. It is the sound of my own voice podcast.com. You can find all the episodes there. They will all be down in the bottom. You can play them directly out of uh, the little embedded player. Uh, we also have a Twitter, which is just at uh, T-S-O-M-O-V podcast, because the Sound of My Own Voice podcast is about 30,000 too many letters for Twitter. Uh, so that's the SOMOV podcast, basically. Uh, so, but yeah, it's at T-S-O-M-O-V podcast is the Twitter handle where we'll be posting links to the episodes as well and if you happen to use facebook for anything other than posting deep fried memes or dunking on your racist uncle you can also follow us on facebook at the sound of my own voice podcast uh, we are also now live on various podcast streaming applications uh, you can subscribe to the podcast on spotify apple podcasts TuneIn, and stitcher uh, for some fucking reason, Google Podcasts decides that I don't exist, and there is no button to make that allows me to click it uh, to make me exist on Google Podcasts, so I'll have to figure that out later. But I didn't want to delay this episode. We're up on four out of the main five, so I figured that's good enough. Um, so yeah, uh, if you like what you hear, think about dropping a little uh, subscribe on any of those, or as always, you can just head to the website, listen directly from there, uh, or subscribe in an RSS feed. If you are, uh, living in 1995 and still booting up into Linux and setting your kernel. Um, so today's episode is going to have two different, uh, topics. Uh, originally it was just going to be about something that I, uh, had omitted from last week's episode. Uh, which is pretty important to me, sort of central to uh, my interests, my personality, kind of uh, what shaped me from a media perspective growing up, uh, and that's video games. Uh, pretty big, if you know me personally in life, uh, again, to my uh, sort of being and sort of central to who I am. Um, very, very big into not only just playing video games, but also sort of the creation, development, artistic aspect of it. Uh, and I didn't have a cool, witty little segment title for video games. Um, I'm thinking about co-opting uh, an old series I did on YouTube called Steaming Pile, where I would randomly select a game from my Steam library and play it uh, and comment on it, kind of give a little critique. Um, but that doesn't really make any sense if I'm not critiquing or playing it, so I don't know if I'll use it. Maybe I will since I have this... Uh, running history now of just reusing and co-opting names from other creative endeavors that I've done. Um, but yeah, I want to talk about gaming in particular. I wanted to talk about just kind of its effect on me and how it uh, has sort of morphed me into sort of a different type of storyteller and sort of changed the way that I engage with 
any sort of artistic medium as well as how I express uh, stories and convey narrative experiences and just kind of what it means to me. Get a little deep, get a little philosophical, you know, two episodes in a row. Certainly good for viewership, I am certain. Um, but before we do that, uh, I actually wanted to have a little traffic jams section here at the front uh, because the best rap album of the year, gonna go ahead and say it, I don't think anything can fucking beat this, um, dropped this week, RTJ4 uh, from Run the Jewels, uh, which is Killer Mike and LP's uh, duo um, group uh, that they've put out four albums for now, uh, as indicated by RTJ4. Um, but it's absolutely fucking killer. Uh, every album that they've put out is is fucking fantastic but i think the timing of this the content of this uh everything about this album really just propels them to new heights um lyrically musically uh production wise it's incredible it's diverse it's like i said it's i have no problem saying it's going to be the best rap album of the year uh and that's even with i'm pretty sure scarlord's newest album is going to drop this year and scarlord may have actually already dropped an album this year that dude releases so much music it's insane i think he's released like 15 songs while he's in quarantine and they're all fucking incredible um which i'll probably talk about those too because scarlord is is really uh sort of genre pushing right now um even though he's been doing it for a while so it's it's maybe not quite as forward thinking as it was when he originally came out but uh I want to talk about RTJ. Um, I, you know, have fucked with them since fucking the original Rud the Jewels single. Um, instrumentally, it always just hooked me and got me. And just LP's flow and Killer Mike's flow are incredible. The way they uh, bend lyrics and the way they uh, sort of convey their thoughts on uh, the world and you know, just the state of the world in particular with this album is incredible. Obviously, they've are always been a very sort of political and sort of very uh, uh, on the issues band. They never shied away from anything. Killer Mike especially is outside of his music, uh, an activist um, and very, very outspoken. Um, but yeah, I kind of wanted to do just sort of a little quick uh, breakdown into the different tracks of the album. I'm um, going to try and keep this at like a tight 15, hopefully. We're going to try and keep this, this episode between like 30, 35 minutes. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, we'll kind of just let it flow, much like this album. But So I'll just hop right into the different tracks. Occasionally, I'm going to be playing um, some selections from the uh, tracks themselves. Uh, but obviously, if you haven't heard this album yet, literally like fucking just swipe up or fucking close out of the podcast app right now press pause do whatever go listen to this album before you listen to me fucking talk about it um it's incredible it's well worth your listen um it's 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 just a a fucking incredible album 2020 has been great for music shit for everything else um but yeah the first track is yankee and the brave ep4 uh which is sort of um really i think the main sort of storytelling song on the album it really starts more um in sort of uh, uh what i would consider like a fictional narrative um whereas most of their other songs kind of tackle topics and and have some pretty pointed messages throughout i think this one is is more uh telling a story weaving a narrative um it's also very aggressive the beat is really really crunchy um it sounds like kind of a little bit older um track in terms of 
uh, kind of just stylistically, it sounds uh, a little bit more like uh, previous generations rap. Um, and it's a, it's a great start to the album. It sort of just sort of kicks you in the teeth, gets it started off on the right foot. Um, and it's, it's a great track. Uh, and I'd say it's probably, uh, from a, from a narrative perspective, like I said, it's, it's kind of the only, uh, track on the album where it sort of tells a story and it does so very well. Um, I'd sort of put it into the, the middle upper section of the album overall. Uh, honestly, I think the album's first half is a little bit weaker than the back half. Um, but I'd say that this is one of the stronger tracks in this little first half of the album. Um, I'll also meant to do this before I started, uh, but apologize if I use any uh, sort of uh, jargon incorrectly. Um, I will uh, admit that I am not uh, as knowledgeable about like the sort of vernac vernacular lexicon of uh, rap music, uh, and that's a failing on my part. I probably should have done a little bit more research before I uh, wanted to sort of talk about this, so I might repeat myself because I don't really have the same uh, knowledge of, of the musical constructs that I would if I was talking about like a, a metal or an alternative or a ska or a punk song um, to be able to kind of uh, explain it the way I want to explain it. So I apologize if I use anything incorrectly. Feel free to uh, let me know. I love to learn. Uh, the next track is definitely what I think is the best is the best track out of these first couple. It's Ooh La La. Um, the piano, piano intro to this just absolutely fucking slams. Um, the bass beat kicks in directly after that, and the beat throughout is just incredible. This is really the first song. I mean, it's the second song, but it's really the first song where I feel like their lyrics have a lot of really good flow. Um, Killer Mike's uh, uh, verse on this is incredible. His second verse um the music is is insane uh from a, a video perspective the music video is is really really well done um it has one of my favorite lines uh in the whole album just from a, a cleverness perspective uh in killer mike's um second verse or maybe it's his first verse he says pugilistic my linguistics uh which i think is just a great fucking very very clever way of conveying um, a very pithy statement into a few words. It rhymes. It flows well with the meter of the verse that he's in. Um, and it's just an incredibly clever line. When I first heard it, I was I literally rewound and listened to that part of the verse again because I thought it was so fucking clever. Um, this whole song is really, really good. Uh, the feature from DJ Premier is is incredible. The break beat towards the or the break towards the end um, is is really, really good. Um, but unfortunately, we sort of slide into what I think is really the weakest three tracks on the album, um, which isn't to say that they're bad. It's just that these three, to me, are are kind of I'm waiting for the songs to end because I want to get to the sixth track, um, which is one of the best on the album, um, which is maybe unfair because Ooh La La is so good. And then the sixth track, uh, Walking in the Snow, is so good. Um, it kind of, since it's sandwiched between two really, really good tracks and all of these feel a little bit weaker, um, they kind of sort of have this area about them where I just, I don't necessarily really care too much for them. Out of Sight um, is really probably my least favorite song on the album. I don't think the beat's that great. Uh, the lyrics are all right. The song's all right. It's just like an okay song. I mean, I think that it's a good song on the album. It fits within the overarching structure, uh, because really this album is so diverse. It has so many different styles 
um, and so many different tracks. But because everything is so diverse and because everything um, is is so standout, something that doesn't stand out just instantly gets lost. Uh, and I think that's really out of sight, ironically, uh, is the track that gets lost on, on this album. Uh, track four, Holy Kalamafuck. Uh, the beat switch in the middle is is amazing. It's the best part of these like sort of three songs that I don't think are that great. Um, this song is is actually really, really, really good. Um, it's the the beat in the beginning, hyper aggressive again, really almost has a metal influence to it, which I just found out uh, through a YouTube video I watched yesterday that Killer Mike and LP both um, have a metal background. They fucking listen to Metallica and Sabbath and Deftones. Um, and I feel like this song in particular, you can really, really hear that um, in their beats, particularly in the beginning before the, the beat switch. Uh, the beat switch in the middle, um, I feel like it has more focus on lyrics, less on instrumentation, but it's a lot smoother. It's a lot more um, sort of uh, what I would consider uh, not really calming, but it's like it, it flows as opposed to sort of being aggressive and in your face. And I think that uh, this song yeah, does a really, really good job of, of sort of uh, flipping your expectations on your head for the song itself uh, with the beat switch in the middle. Uh, Goonies versus E.T. is track number five. Uh, it's the main beat is the best part about this song. It's disgusting. It has a very 80s feel to it uh, for sort of Goonies versus E.T. Uh, the break in the middle is is pretty good as well. Um, but overall, again, I feel like I'm waiting for Walking in the Snow to start while I'm listening to this song. So maybe I'm judging it uh, not as fairly as I should. Um, but the, the, the beat in this is really good. It's just, it, it, again, it's, it's not as standout as it needs to be. So it sort of gets lost in, uh, in the best parts of this album, which are this back half, which starts with walking in the snow. Um, again, uh, showing a lot of metal influence here. The beginning riff literally sounds like it could start any fucking metal song from the early eighties. Uh, and fucking could be a Judas Priest or Iron Maiden intro riff. Um, the beat is fucking sick. Mixes with the lyrics incredibly. Has great flow. Has a good, um, just really steady throughout beat. Uh, but this is one of uh, three songs on the album um, that I'm going to play an example from. Uh, because specifically the lyrical content of this song um fucking just wrecked me the first time i heard it like i paused probably five or six times in this song just to think about the bars i had just heard because uh it, this really shakes it up to a different level and really really starts getting into not only current events but just overall sort of social constructs um and for me in particular some of the uh some of the lyrics that i'm gonna um play for you uh, really hit me personally. Um, the first of which I'm about to play is a section from LP's uh, first verse. Pseudo Christians, y'all are different. Kids in prisons, they the same shit. But one scrap of what Jesus taught connected, you feel different. It is nuts. Uh, I just, honestly, again, I had no words when I heard this the first time, right? Because one of my biggest fucking grievances against sort of what I would consider modern day 
Christians or modern day Christianity is literally how much injustice in the world people turn a blind eye to and act like it's a quote unquote political matter. Kids, kids in prison ain't a sin shit. If even one scrap of what Jesus taught connected, you'd feel different. That is fucking a... I would think that if you heard those lyrics and, and had any sort of con like self-awareness or conception of who it was talking about, you would fucking instantly understand how fucking dumb you've been if you were on the side of what uh, LP is talking about here. It's it fucking incredible, honestly. It's a great, great fucking line. Um, really calls out, I think, and calls attention to the hypocrisy in the modern-day church and, and modern-day Christianity a lot. Um, but Mike's verses here, again, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about Mike's verses throughout um, than I am LPs. That doesn't mean that I necessarily think LPs are worse in any way. It's just Mike's really uh, fucking hit me differently um, than LPs a lot of the time. Um, and, and Mike's lyrics here are just incredible. So here, I'll play you uh, the first section. And you so numb, you watch the cops choke out a man like me until my voice goes from a shriek to whisper, I can't breathe. I mean, that's honestly fucking, like, should be, like, blood chilling. Like, you should, you, you should have just gotten goosebumps and you should feel fucking just... Like, if that doesn't get you thinking, I, I don't know fucking what will, honestly. Like, this is probably one of the best lyrics. And inside of this verse, there's even more. I just, this in particular, really sort of hit me like a ton of bricks the first time I, I listened to it. Um, and I think it's it really just evokes how good of a wordsmith Killer Mike is, how on top of issues he is, and, and honestly, like, just how he connects musically like he connects a part of his life that a lot of people can't relate to but a lot of people can also relate to and how he connects those parts of his life through his music is just really 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 well done um and now i'll play the uh third lyric section from this that i want to uh, i want you guys to hear all of us serve the same masters all of us nothing but slaves never forgetting the story of jesus the hero was killed by the state this one really like fucking got me thinking obviously the the first verse and everything i i was paused throughout and did everything but this is so fucking poignant the layers to the last sentence of that track never forgetting the story of jesus the hero was killed by the state that is there's just so many ways you can deconstruct that from just the way that obviously the government now is is fucking just committing uh, atrocity after atrocity on our streets. You know, I watch videos on Twitter that look more like a fucking uh, war zone that I've played in Call of Duty than fucking what America should be. Um, you know, and the fact that creating a clear analog between today's issues and and Jesus literally being killed by the Roman state at the time for what they believed was obviously blasphemy against the church, right? Like, to draw that parallel directly to what's being 
done and what's happening and occurring and the the issues that we're currently facing in modern day America is is not only one brilliant and completely fucking accurate two again as a christian it really just made me sit and think like fuck like that he's exactly right like that's it's a great lyric it hits i think people where they should be hit and i just i again just sat for minutes thinking about both of these verses and just just really trying to think about how I felt about the lyrics and really just reflect on them and my life in these lyrics, which is what good music does, right? Good music isn't just fucking shut your brain off all the time and, and listen to some cool riffs. You know, good music has that, but it also has uh, things that are thought-provoking, things that challenges your sensibilities, right? Music has always been about, um, you know, sort of rejecting authority, rejecting the way things are. It's always been counterculture. And I think that this... Uh, shouldn't be counterculture. This should be our culture, right? Like th- these sort of concepts and these sort of sentiments that are displayed in these lyrics uh, should be the norm. Um, and I'm just going to move on to what is undoubtedly the best track instrumentally on this on this record. Fucking just the beat in this is beyond filthy. Um, I'm going to play you the intro to this because I, I want you guys to hear this. Mastered economics because you took yourself from squalor. Slave. Mastered academics because your grace said you were scholar. Slave. Mastered Instagram because you can instigate a follow. Shit. Look at all these slave masters posing on your dollar. Get it? Yeah. Look at all these slave masters posing on your dollar. Get it? Look at all these slave masters posing on your dollar. Get it? Look at all these slave masters posing on your dollar. Get it? Look at all these slave masters. Been it time, I'm on mine, I be minding mine. Every time on my grind, I'm just trying to shine. And I talked last week about bounciness, right? Um, when it came to uh, metal music specifically, like stuff that's like supposed to be more gent oriented. If you don't fucking bounce when you hear this song, I can't I can't describe to you how broken your ears are. It it's uh, fully incomprehensible that you couldn't bounce when you hear any of this beat, but especially when Killer Mike comes in, the beat just sort of gets another layer on top of it and sort of escalates itself. Um, but in this song, it's too as good as the beat is. Um, the lyrics, you know, look at all these slave masters posing on your dollars, really hit me again and just sit and made me think like, yeah, wait a second, who's on the fucking dollars? I'm like going through my mind, like who are on dollar bills? I'm like, yeah. Andrew Jackson literally did the fucking Trail of Tears, killed hundreds of thousands of fucking people. And, like, we learn about him in history as, like, the bro dude president who got fucking drunk and had, like, an open bar at the White House. Like, no, that dude was a piece of shit. Why is he on our fucking currency? Why does everyone on our currency been dead for 150 years? Why don't we update that shit? The rest of the world has money that looks like fucking Monopoly money, but we have the same fucking dollar bills that we've had since 1935 with people that have been long dead since then, right? Fucking Hamilton? Put Lin-Manuel Miranda on that fucking piece of shit instead of the real Hamilton. Like, fucking, like, wouldn't it be amazing if we called $100 bills Martins instead of Benjamins, right? Like, why are these people on our fucking currency, especially just people that 
maybe had the briefest moment of relevance in our country's founding, but are absolute sacks of shit otherwise. Like, why do we celebrate that sort of history, right? There's no one looking at a fucking dollar bill and going, you know what, I wonder who the fuck Ulysses S. Grant is. Who's that motherfucker? Let me learn more about him, right? No, it's needless fucking iconography of people who were absolute dog shit when you look back at their history. Put some fucking meaningful people on here that have actually done something important in American culture. When I say American culture, I mean the whole fucking breadth of American culture. We were built on a foundation of being a melting pot. Fucking have some diversity on the dollar bills. Why the fuck not? What could it possibly fucking matter? Like, this just like blew my mind. I was like, just never even thought about it, and now it seems like the most obvious thing in the world. Um, let's see here. I am well over 15 minutes uh, on this. So I'm going to speed up the back half of this album. Um, the next three tracks are kind of another three that are sandwiched in between two amazing songs. Um, but I think that these three tracks, I don't know, they're just a lot darker, a lot more atmospheric, a lot more. I like the beats better, um, especially Never Look Back and uh, Pulling the Pin. Uh, both have like this sort of like synth. Never Look Back in particular, uh, which is the next track, literally sounds like something straight out of Blade Runner. Um, the added instrumentation in the second verse really thrusts this track into greatness, I think. I, I, I really, really do like this track, and like I said, I think the back half is a little bit better, but for time's sake, I'm going to speed this up. Um, the Ground Below uh, beats pretty good. I think it's probably the weakest track on this back half. Um, I... I enjoy the lyrical content and everything that it's about mike's intro verse reminds me of executioner style off of the reanimation album uh from lincoln park um just the way that he sort of enunciates and the way his flow hits i it it almost sounds identical to me but maybe i'm just fucking insane um pulling the pin again has uh, a synth on it um and and really sort of embodies the darker feel of the back half of this uh the guitar work uh from josh Holm of queens of the stone age is great throughout um the fact that he's featured on one of these songs is incredible uh the amount of features on this album and and really well done um just uh diversity in terms of who is on the album is incredible um on fucking just they have zach de la rocha from fucking rage against the machine on it he has a whole verse uh which is great um and then the last song a few words for the firing squad um is honestly i think the best song on the album from an instrumental lyrical perspective um in terms of just an overall song it, it it's what maybe one of the best songs i've ever heard it it might be my favorite run the jewels song it's just six and a half minutes of of incredible work done by uh production done by beats done by lyrics everything um there's just a raw fury to the lyrics that really, really, really fucking hits home. Um, there's a fucking saxophone solo because LP has two just jazz albums, and I guess he wanted to throw some fucking saxophone in here. There's violins. There's a fucking, like, three-and-a-half-minute instrumental outro that's just absolutely insane. Um, it's, again, what the best track on the album, I think, from an overall perspective. Um, Just's beat is probably a little bit better. 
uh, and maybe Walking in the Snow has some harder hitting lyrics, but um, honestly, I think, again, uh, LP's verses in this are brutal, uh, but Mike just goes to a different level on on this track, and uh, I want to play you guys uh, two different sections here. Um, one is just uh, in his track, and then the, the next part are the last words of the album. Friends tell her he could be another Malcolm, he could be another Martin. She told the partner, I need a husband more than the world need another martyr. So that first part, I mean, just, just again, uh, another another possible moment for me on the album where I I just sat and thought like, just thought about the context of having that conversation with your with your wife as as a husband myself, right? Thinking about just having a conversation where you have people telling you your wife telling your family telling everybody you could be as impactful as literally someone we read about in history books and look up to as a culture and and you have the ability to be this impactful and then to say that your wife tells you like i need you more than i want you to sacrifice yourself right um I need a husband more than the world needs another martyr is such an impactful line. Uh, I can't describe to you how just absolutely fucking spooked I was after I heard that. The That that one line, I think, just chilled me to the core more than anything else. Um, and there was a lot of those on this album, as I've said. Uh, but the last, the last words of, of really, it's not really the last words because there are some words in the outro, but the last, like, what I consider, like, uh, lyrical content of the album. Go hard, last words to the firing squad was fuck you too. What a fucking chef's kiss, beautiful fucking way to end an album, especially about this content and everything that it's involved with. I just... Front to back, this is an incredible album. Even the tracks that I think are weak are are better than most rap songs I've heard uh, in a long time. And again, if you haven't fucking heard this, it's literally available for free. Run the Jewels doesn't have any fucking payment for uh, this album. They release all their music for free, but they do accept donations and all of those proceeds. Uh, for these albums will be uh, donated to various organizations and funds, uh, which you can find on their website. So please, 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 at the very least, just go listen to it on fucking Spotify or YouTube. Uh, but if you want high-quality downloads as well, go to their website, download the album, throw them some fucking dollars, support a great cause, support great fucking music, um, and just listen to this absolute work of art. I am the king of terrible segues, so we're just going to segue right into my uh, that I, the topic that I was originally going to utilize for uh, this podcast, which is just sort of my relationship with gaming and games, uh, and already being at 30 fucking minutes, um, I'm hoping I can squeeze this into a quick 45, uh, but we'll see how it goes. Not 45 extra minutes, mind you, before you fucking click out of the podcast, uh, just two 45 minutes. Um, I'd rather have had more time talking about a, a great work of art by two very, very talented individuals than uh, sort of just aggrandizing myself um, for uh, longer. But 
Um, yeah, so gaming um, and kind of what it means to me. We're gonna we're gonna take you back a little bit to uh, to sort of my childhood and kind of how how gaming um, influenced me and just kind of the the type of child I was uh, in terms of gaming and and how that sort of progressed through my uh, my childhood and into high school and, and into beyond and now. Um, I've always had games, which has been really fortunate for me. And my mom and dad actually have always been really, really into video games as well, um, which is great. Um, I think it's a great hobby um, to share with your kids, um, even now. Obviously, it was, you know, back then they bought a, a Super Nintendo uh, for their first sort of home console. Um, and I remember playing with them. I remember playing, um, just kind of trying to fumble through everything. But I think that it, it, it really seeded a passion in me having, having played all these games that early. Um, and the two strongest memories I have of playing games, um, like the first memories I have of playing games, um, because I played that Super Nintendo until like the PlayStation 2 was out. Uh, that was another thing. Like we bought that and then I didn't have another system for like, eight years or something. I played the ever-living fuck out of that Super Nintendo. Um, and I think the first two memories I really have are of Mega Man X and of Super Mario World, um, both of which to this day still defined me as a uh, how I think about game design, but also just how I think about games in general. I remember um, playing Mega Man X and thinking that when I got boss powers that gave me uh, different weapons on Mega Man X, it gives you a different bar that's right by your health. And for whatever reason, I thought that my brain didn't make the correlation to the fact that that's energy for a specific weapon. You use that, you can no longer use the weapon. In my mind, I was going to die if I uh, if that bar got low because I knew the other bar, if it got low and went away, I died. And being a dipshit kid, it never occurred to me to try it, right, um, to try and see if I could do that. Because I always – I hated dying in games. I've always hated dying in games. In fact, when I was um, probably, honestly, all the way through middle school, I was, like, afraid of dying in games. Like, that's how much I didn't like it. I would try and do everything to ensure that I never – died i never got beaten i never had to restart it frustrated me so much to the point where i sort of feared it um so the first time i ever beat mega man i beat it uh, entirely without using anything other than the mega buster um i also didn't know about any of the secrets i didn't really know about any of the other like upgrades other than the dash boots and the gun because you get those throughout the course of the game um super mario world me and my mom used to play apparently um, I don't remember deleting it, but I do remember finishing it. Apparently, when I was like two or three, I was playing uh, Super Mario World, and I deleted my mom's save file where she had like 90 out of 96 worlds completed on uh, Super Mario World. Uh, it took me until I was, I think, 13 or 14, uh, and I finally beat all of Super Mario World, all of fucking 96 exits, and got her her like uh, fully completed save file back. Um, but those are sort of my earliest memories of gaming. Um, I played a lot of games, like I said, on my Super Nintendo. Um, I remember uh, sort of in middle school getting kind of like, yeah, fuck yeah, like I really do like games. Um, 
I hung out with a lot of friends who had uh, way, way more games than me, um, both older and current. Again, I still only had a Super Nintendo, uh, and I remember going to my buddy's house, and he had like an NES, an SNES, a Sega Genesis, a PS1, a PS2. Uh, he had all of this stuff. Um, most of which actually now resides in my house. Um, when he sort of got out of um, sort of that older retro gaming, uh, I inherited most of his stuff. He let me take most of his old retro stuff. So I have um, a lot of that stuff that originally sort of imbued me with uh, a love for retro and a love for gaming, uh, especially for PS1, a love for RPGs. Um, I uh, it, it really sort of... Um, I still have all that stuff, so it's cool that I still have all that history. Um, I remember going through uh, uh, middle school and high school and, and sort of getting into more of a kind of like a collector's mentality. I've always had a collector's mentality. I love just having everything of a thing. It's why um, I think Pokemon uh, was a game that really, really hooked me because it was literally about collecting enough of a thing. Um, but funny story about Pokemon, to kind of give you an idea of, of something that I've done, I've done twice in my life, um, and one of them was on the original Pokemon. So I had a Game Boy, original fat Game Boy, and I got Pokemon uh, Red for Christmas one year for my grandparents. And I played, like, up through Cerulean City, like, as soon as I got it, like, on Christmas morning, I got the Game Boy and I got Pokemon Red. Or I ha already had the Game Boy, and I got Pokemon Red, and I played through Cerulean City. And I got into Cerulean City, and literally later that day, at a different um, uh, Christmas thing, I got a Game Boy Color. I fucking restarted my save file because I was like, I want to experience this game in full color. I don't want any portion of how I experience this game to be on... W w like you know in my brain at the time i was like this hardware old bad this hardware good in color and i like i wanted my experience of that game like the experience of gaming meant so much to me even at that early age that i wanted to literally experience it all in color and uh, i did the same thing 15 years later skyrim comes out for xbox 360 and i still had a fucking literally still had a crtv um, in 2011, there was no TVs in our house that weren't, uh, CRTVs. That is a lot of thunder outside. And I, uh, had, was, one of my friends was getting a new LCD TV, or may have actually been LED at the time, and he had an old LCD TV that he was selling me. Um, but he wasn't gonna get the new TV until after Skyrim launched. I did not play Skyrim until I got an HD TV, because I didn't want to experience that game not in HD because to me at the time Skyrim was like holy fuck this is the greatest game ever I have to experience this in a particular way and even now there are some games that I'm like yeah, Witcher 3 I only play that on my Xbox One X on my 4K TV because I want to experience that graphical fidelity um, and it's not so much the fact that I, I want the best graphics or I want the best um, visuals it's that Everything about a game is so painstakingly crafted that I always want to experience it in the best possible way. It's the same reason why there's some movies I have to watch in theaters, right? They're made for theaters. If there's a director that's a specific uh, way that he crafts things, generally he's going to craft it around the movie-going experience. So I want to watch things in movies, and it's the same way that I feel about video games. Um, and, you know, 
that's kind of the way that I, I I think about gaming from a medium perspective, from a from a I'm experiencing it perspective. But when I think about creating games, and when I think about what gaming really means to me as an artistic art form, I I really think back to some of the early times in uh, sort of when I had when I was playing with my buddies and we'd. Uh, play on PlayStation, and we'd take turns playing RPGs. And even though that was kind of a social ex- experience because we were taking turns playing these RPGs, um, even to this day, there's still a little bit of melancholy around RPGs for me, and it's why I, I have such a high affinity with them because like those experiences and those stories mean so much to me. The first time I played Final Fantasy VI on Super Nintendo, I played it on a fucking emulator, and just the way that story unfolds and the way that everything happens is still to this day just so emotive for me even though nine's better than six fucking fight me um i think that you know final fantasy six's story just um is really really powerful really really evocative easily the best villain in the whole series in kefka um but really from from an rpg perspective uh probably the most influential rpg um, at that time was was saga frontier and Saga Frontier was a strange RPG because the only other Saga game that had come out in America at the time uh, was actually called Final Fantasy Adventure, um, which isn't a Final Fantasy game. Uh, it kind of got wrapped into the Final Fantasy architecture. Actually, it wasn't Final Fantasy Adventure. Final Fantasy Adventure is a second Desensu game. It was Final Fantasy Legend. Um Final Fantasy Legend 1, 2, and 3 for the Game Boy are all part of the Saga series. Um, and they got sort of wrapped in because really no one knew what the Saga series was, so they didn't want to release them as what they were in Japan. They figured slapping Final Fantasy on, uh, you know, stupid Americans wouldn't know the difference. It's a Final Fantasy game. It's sell better. Uh, but it kind of didn't. They didn't really do that well. Um, and the whole Romancing Saga series, you know, for Super Nintendo skipped us. Um, though I played fan translations on emulators, but my first experience with the Saga series was Saga Frontier. And Saga Frontier does one of the most interesting and unique things to this day, I think, that's ever been done with a game, which is that Saga Frontier had seven characters that you could play as, and each of these characters had their own individual story. And as you played through each of their own stories, you recruited different characters. Sometimes you would recruit the same character from each story at different parts in their lives. But it told the story of this entire world through seven vastly different perspectives. Um, You had a robot. You had a bird. You had a dude who was a high-ranking magician in this order of magicians. You had a guy who was literally a nobody, but, oh, wait, turns out he's a fucking, you know, superhero on the side. And he has one of the most kick-ass fucking themes of all time in any JRPG soundtrack. And all of those things were cool. But one of the coolest things to me technologically was a PS1 memory card held 15 blocks. Saga Frontier's character data was two blocks per character and then one block to tie all of the character data together. They specifically engineered their story around the limitations of the hardware at the time to make sure that you could play the entire game and you'd have one memory card that was just Saga Frontier. And even to this day, I think that's such a fucking cool concept. And even the some of the story stuff that they tackled, how all of the different narratives interweave, how you do stuff in one person's story and see the other side and the other perspective of another person's story throughout everything. 
honestly, to this day, it was still one of my favorite RPGs. One of the uh, just founding reasons that I like branching narrative. Um, it's an incredible, incredible game. And it it really started a love for RPGs for me, which just so happened to coincide with the fact that I was getting more and more into uh, a fantasy book, um, which meant that I was the coolest kid in my middle school. I brought 900-page tomes of fucking R.A. Salvatore Forgotten Realms games um, or Forgotten Realms novels, uh, a whole trilogy in one book, and read them in class. You know, I played old Black Isle Icewind Dale games on the school computers because I could load it into uh, um, onto a disc and get around the school's computer stuff and install the game. Yes, you heard me right. I was the coolest kid in middle school. Um, but what's funny in thinking back about those times of years, though I had a lot of friends, and one of my friends from middle school is one of my best friends still to this day. Uh, actually, two of them are because I met um, my buddy Jimmy in eighth grade at a different school. I moved schools a lot. Um, until ninth grade, from ninth to eleventh grade, it was the first time that I had ever stayed at a school for more than two years. Um, so I constantly was meeting new people, was constantly exposed to new people, um, but my sort of relationships never lasted past a school move. Um, and middle school was one of the first times I kept those relationships past a school move, but also I spent a lot of time alone as a kid. Uh, even as a normal kid, I remember being alone a lot. I remember working on, my granddad worked for Delta, and he gave me a old Delta computer that ran Windows fucking NT on it. Uh, not even a normal fucking, uh, you know, operating system, but it was the only thing I had. Uh, he, they, they were throwing it out, so he gave it to me. And I remember playing Icewind Dale on that. I remember downloading RPG Maker 2003 on that. And I remember just feeling so uh, alone at times and feeling so just uh, honestly not really ever sad or depressed about being alone. But just thinking how much more interesting the worlds that I was reading about were and how much more interesting the games that I was playing were and how I had friends and we talked at school and I played on a traveling soccer team throughout all this time. So I I mean, I was active. I was outside a lot as well. Um, and I and I had relationships and I had friends. But, you know, once sort of I didn't like if I wasn't thrust into a place where I was interacting with people, I wasn't interacting with people. Um, and so a lot of times I use them as an escape for things. And then moving into sort of high school and sort of uh, honestly uh, to this day, still remember the first day I was ever depressed where my brain just went, you're sad now and you're not not going to be sad. Fuck you. Um, it was in 10th grade uh, and it was on a Friday. And I distinctly remember telling everybody it will be better on Monday. And I had never been sad ever. And again, because I went to the same school from ninth to 11th grade, um, people were kind of shocked because I'm usually like this very jovial, very uh, funny, very just like at that point, very acerbically witty. Um, but I, you know, they had never seen me like this. And I remember people telling me afterwards, because I said everything would be better on Monday, people were, like, certain I was going to kill myself over the weekend. There were people who were like, should we, like, make sure, like, should we, like, call him, like, over the weekend and everything? Um, and really it was just, I don't know what's happening. I don't know why I'm depressed. I just, it'll be better on Monday because it has to be better on Monday, right? I'm just, 
something my brain fucking broke i need to reboot the computer right um all of that is to say that uh throughout high school and and college um and even in middle school like i said a lot of games and a lot of uh sort of narrative experiences were escapes for me and they helped me through a really lot of tough times i remember in college um after i uh, had experience getting cheated on for the first time um i basically didn't move from a couch from an entire for an entire weekend and beat the entirety of fallout 3 and all of its dlc pretty much without stopping honestly like only stopped to like piss and like go get food um but my roommates at the time had weren't there for the weekend and i just sat on a couch and did nothing um and it felt great, honestly. It was great to immerse myself in this world and forget about everything. And as I got older and as I started to try and understand the more artistic value and artistic merits of game creation, you know, a central facet to me that really stood out was I want to make games and create experiences for people so that I can make a game that someone who is in my same position plays, experiences, interfaces with, and allows them to escape from the things that they want to escape from, and allows them to have the same sort of thoughts that I was having, and allows them to find that joy in the escapism, but also find that joy in the craft and, and see you know, what a really great finely crafted piece of media is. And you know, once I sort of realized that that was the reason why I wanted to make games, that was the reason I wanted to create things, create media, do things, even this, right? This is even a a way for me to express and hopefully for uh, what is now encroaching upon uh, 50 minutes, please bear with me, uh, you know, maybe I can, you know, make someone forget for uh, uh, 20 of those minutes before the dulcet tones of my voice put them to sleep um, can forget, you know, something that's going on in their life and, and can entertain them in any way. That's the central focus of, of really kind of how I do everything now. It's, it's how I work. You know, I work in sales. I, you know, talk to customers every day and I'm ostensibly supposed to show the products from my company to those customers and really the way that I think about it and the way that I explain how I work to people is I make sure you have the best experience possible. I want to cultivate an experience with you that's memorable, that is impactful, and that actually, you know, that you care about. And that sounds cheesy and fucking, um, you know, a little kitschy because there's a lot of, you know, salespeople that use sort of the, the customer experience or world-class experiences as a sales tactic. But just because of the way that I interface with everything that I create, even a conversation with someone else is something that I'm creating. You know, words that I live by are, if it'll make a better story, I'm probably going to do it, right? You know, always do something be to make a better story. Um, and so just it's just the way that I view the world and view life and, and think about how to create and be creative and thrust stuff into the world is, you know, I want people to receive that 
and be able to experience the same things that I experience when I'm receiving things uh, from other artistic mediums and other creators in the hopes that, you know, maybe by hearing something that I'm talking about on a podcast or playing a game that I eventually create or listening to an album that I write or listening to a book that I write or listening to anything or looking at a painting that I paint, that's a fucking joke. I am just have the absolute zero talent when it comes to drawing, painting, or anything like that. But, like... Just anything that I put out in the world, if that can take one person to then think, hey, I can do this too, then my fucking job's complete. Like, that's that's what gaming means to me. That's what creating an experience in an artistic medium for other people to interface with means to me. And gaming just has a really unique facet to it that, you know, no other medium has. It has player agency it has a, a person putting inputs into a thing that then creates a unique experience for the most part for each player right there's still a set of guidelines there's still a set of rules that every game has but you know there's no rule that says you can't start mario and just jump up and down until you die i don't know why you would do that but you can right it, it gives the player agency over they the way that they interface with the game the player and the audience have inputs that otherwise they don't have inputs right and sure some you know tv has tried this like uh bandersnatch the episode of uh black mirror on netflix has sort of an interactive ability you know element to it but but really when you think about gaming and you think about creating an experience for somebody you have to think about how each player is interfacing with this experience, right? You can have this sort of master vision just like you would with a, a record or a, a movie, but you can control every aspect of the way that you thrust that record or movie or book into the public, right? You can control everything about it, even though obviously now you know it takes a fucking village to make a to make a movie and records you know if if they're highly produced probably have a, a team of people working on them as well um, but but really from an artistic perspective when you're thinking about a game and you're thinking about how people are going to interface with it it just opens up so many new options for how to tell stories how to engage with uh, a player what you can do that's interesting that hasn't been done before which is something that i really try to think about when i'm thinking about a game idea is like what narrative hook can i think of that ha maybe hasn't been used before how can i weave the mechanics of a game solely into the narrative so that from you know point a to point b it makes sense right what's a gameplay element that feels gamey but um you know, makes sense from a narrative perspective, but is like impossible in real life. A great example of this is um, that I use all the time is uh, Assassin's Creed's Leap of Faith, right? You take your character, you have them climb up the side of a building or climb up the side of something. They stand on a pole, they look out, it unlocks part of your map, and then they jump off of that and land in a bale of hay, you know, 150, 300 feet below. Obviously, physically impossible obviously a very gamey mechanic it's there uh to unlock part of your map it's there to sort of um make it to where the the player has objectives that they can go through and, and things that they can check off of a list but from a lore perspective the way it ties into the assassin mythos 
of the of the assassin brotherhood and why they do leaps of faith right the first time that you do it it's really impactful and so like just thinking about those sorts of concepts when i'm looking at a game when i'm analyzing a game thinking about you know dialogue in a game and, and how, what it conveys and thinking about scene structure and everything it's just there's so many different avenues for game construction um that don't necessarily exist in the same way in other mediums um it's again it, it, it's why i chose this medium to be uh hopefully my vessel for artistic expression and i can have the ability to um you know put my ideas out into the world and have other people uh experience them and and hopefully like i said you know i'll consider it a job well done if there's at least one person who who can escape from something they want to escape from um, by using something I've created. And uh, that, I think, is going to fucking be it. Uh, 55, 56 minutes. Jesus, maybe this is just an hour-long podcast. Maybe I'll never be able to keep this to 30 to 45 minutes. Um, I hope you guys have enjoyed everything. Hopefully... Uh, everyone who listens to this goes out and listens to RTJ4. Uh, hopefully you understand a little more about uh, sort of me as a person and kind of why I create things and sort of the, the inner workings of my brain and why I love uh, video games so much and why the medium is so important to me both as a consumer and as a creator and as an artist, right? Why I think video games is an important artistic medium um, and isn't just sort of whiz-bang, shooty-shoot, fucking mario jumping on goombas um but i hope you guys have a lovely tuesday this is actually coming out on time uh it is coming out in less than two hours now because i've been recording for almost an hour and uh hopefully you guys have a great tuesday have a great week uh you guys can catch us here us again it's just me here on the sound of my own voice podcast every tuesday morning because it's easier for me to upload in the morning. And some website told me that the best time to release a podcast is 4 a.m. on Tuesday. And damn it, I'm listening to them. Because if it's one thing I can trust, it's the internet, right? Have a great day, everyone.